Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the rental sector across the country. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up on this week's programme, we'll be looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the tourism sector. And we'll be asking, is there any hope of rescuing the summer for the hospitality industry? Well, joining me in the line first today is a tourism consultant based in County Clare and also a local Fianna Fáil representative in the area, Killian Murphy. Killian, my thanks to you for taking the call today. Can I just ask you first of all, Killian, what's been the impact of the current pandemic on the hospitality industry locally where you're based? Well, devastation, really, Andrea. I mean, nobody's been open um, and... You know, we'd see, I suppose, a certain amount of the, the bigger urban places have a bit of takeaway stuff going on. But, you know, our population base is quite low. Um, and that, again, would mitigate against, I suppose, the expense incurred and stuff like that of people, you know, trying to keep their businesses open from a, a takeaway, uh, you know, trying to fill in that gap uh, and keep some bit of cash flow going. Um, but it's been uh, devastated. And I, I really think we're going to have to, I mean... Getting July and August, you know, we're a predominantly domestic market based. Uh, so we do have that kind of, I suppose, an advantage coming into July and August uh, in that we have a very strong domestic base coming in here into Kilkee and the Lupet Peninsula. So I think, fingers crossed, we might be able to salvage some bit of a season out of it. But it's going to be a tough, and, and I think the real issue is going to be the winter Um when we see, you know, that that, that short season uh, and the lack of capacity for businesses, I guess with a two-meter social distance limit, uh, um, you know, business capacity down by maybe 50 or 60%. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, it's the, it's the longer-term impact, really, Andrea, that I think I would have big concerns about. Um, you know, just in a wider sense, we'd have a lot of people, so a lot of, local young people would work in our seasonal businesses uh, earning money for college just that's a, a classic example uh, if they're not going to make that four or five thousand euros that they would normally make in the summer or four thousand or whatever it is and then they're going off to college next September October and they don't have it well then parents are going to have to stump up to make sure that they do have it which means that the winter uh, resources are low and that means that our smaller businesses are going to struggle in the winter time to to have a trade because this kind of exit of uh, exodus of cash out of the system that would normally be uh, here. It's going to be very challenging, I think. The couple of things there, Killian, I, I just wanted to ask you about. The first being, when you say that July and August in the area that you're in is primarily a, dom- a domestic market, I mean... It's, so there is a likelihood that really with people possibly having a staycation this year that, I mean, is it the case that there may not be any impact then? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, look, we would be, uh, you know, I live in Kiki, you know, here, Lehinch would be pretty similar where we would have a, a very high uh, level of people who have second homes and holiday homes, mobile homes and such. So 
we know that there's very heavily booked, um, you know, the demand for those has been very high and we know that they're predominantly either booked out or people who would normally book them out are actually coming themselves. Um, so we'd expect to see people here. But I think the real issue is our businesses and their capacity because, you know, by their nature, they're small and mostly family run. Uh, they're going to struggle to generate that uh, that level of income that they would normally be used to. I mean, we used to have a restaurant here and 80% of our turnover was done in kind of three and a half months of the year. So if we can extrapolate that out to the other smaller businesses and give them a similar percentage, I, mm. I couldn't see any reason why they would be any different. But uh, if your capacity as a business is reduced by 50%, that's going to have a very big impact. Um, so while we might see people here, um, I, I think our business is going to be are facing a very challenging time in how they actually operate. Yeah, and I suppose it, it's an interesting point in that if, if, if while your local economy, if that is to increase or maybe double in terms of population size, you know, over a, a seasonal period or, or the summer months, the likelihood is that for people who have second homes or whether it be mobile homes, they can often cook and eat and, and entertain themselves in the confines of their own property, they may not actually be going out having a meal, socialising in the local community, and therefore that money isn't being pumped back in to the local economy. So it's it's really the tourist that travels to the county is what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and I mean, we would... Look, there's no getting away. I mean, as I said, the, the, the majority of our income was generated from, from the domestic market. Um, but what the other thing is that... And, and this is where we need to be. Uh, I suppose. Look, the, the the domestic market was worth I don't know somewhere in the region of two billion. But uh, what we are now facing is uh, places like Killarney, Galway, Kenny, places uh, Westport that would have had a huge international uh, Dublin indeed it would have a huge international market and a huge reliance in the international market aren't going to have that, and they are now targeting that two billion spent. So you know we. All of a sudden, we do have significant competition in the marketplace for the domestic market. And I think that's going to uh, nibble away again at the, the capacity of the smaller you know, place that would have a traditional domestic market to, 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 to survive. Um, so we do really need, I think, there's a big onus on government to step up here, uh, Andrea, uh, really. And, you know, one of the things the other is that you know, we hear a lot about that tourism is this, it's a mechanism for regional redistribution of wealth, almost. Um, and, and I often look at the, the economy as a blood supply and you've got your arteries and your veins and actually tourism is the one that reaches out right out to little small places with the capillaries. It just gets out to all the little places that other industries don't get to. But, uh, and they support, it supports what's the social infrastructure for our rural and coastal communities. So our little pubs, Cafes, the little place we like to go on a Friday night for a dinner with our, you know, after a week's work or all of those things, they actually rely very heavily on a summer season. And and if this is reduced and they're struggling, well then really what we could see is the knock-on effect in places like West Clare, Mayo, places like that, West Kerry, is is there is a drop in what we actually have is social infrastructure. So the things that make us really enjoy living here. Uh, will struggle okay. to survive. Uh, 
when you when you say that you're kind of you're reliant on government now and measures that are being brought in, I mean the government will say that they they brought in the COVID nineteen, um, the unemployment benefit, the three hundred and fifty euro. They'll say they brought in the you know the wage subsidy scheme, all of which they did and and have and have proven to be hugely helpful and beneficial to people who who have um obviously been you know availing of the schemes. What else needs to be done? Um, I think we need to look at these maybe in two ways. So you know most businesses would have like fixed costs which are say our mortgages rates insurance and they have to be paid whether there's one customer in the door or 1000 customers in the door so they're they're a fixed cost for us um, and really we've seen six months of the year is gone uh, with no real capacity to put any dent in those um, you know interest is racked up while the rates have been deferred uh, for three months I think there's um I think the government are going to have to say, look, if we want this sector to survive, and 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 we do, and for many of the reasons I've said earlier, look, it is the social infrastructure in in, in rural and coastal communities. So we do have to make sure that it survives. It's also the distribution mechanism for for the economy. So it it makes sure that even if somebody's not working in the tourism sector and they they are you know so they could have a really good job with remote working for I don't know IBM or something. That money has to filter back into our local economy, and it generally does so through retail, through uh, the hospitality sector, so the pubs and the bars and cafes and all those sort of things. We need to make sure that it's there so that distribution can happen. So government is going to have to take a long-term view on this, and I think really they should be looking at, uh, so I think they should be looking at a rates deferment for the year, and I know that that's going to have an impact on our local authorities, but national government is going to have to step up and fill that hole. Um, and I think that's, that's, that goes towards addressing the, the capital or fixed costs of a business. But I also think they're going to have to do significant work with VAT reduction. Um, and I think they're going to have to take that bull by the horns. And it does have to be framed, Andrea, in terms of this is not about reducing VAT on the sector with a view to making the product cheaper. It's actually a view. It's about looking at it being an, a mechanism by which the government can support the industry. So if there's a 5 or 6 or 7% reduction in the VAT rate, it's not about you know the consumer saying, well, we should see that on the, on, the, on the price. It's actually the government saying, no, that is about us having a very simple mechanism by which we can uh, increase the, the profit margin of the businesses in this difficult time so that they can actually survive so there was a rates deferral brought in by local authorities for businesses whereby they could you know pay them at the later stage in the same way as you had the mortgage break well there's a rates it's actually um, no you know it's not it's not a deferral as such they're going to have to pay in the future it's actually gone so the government has decided that they're going to pick up that tab for three months but I, my argument is that I think we're going to have to pick it up for longer I think nationally we're going to have to say this is a, a a crisis in an industry that does huge good in delivering really uh, distributed uh, it distributes the economy into many places that that will have no other option for industry here. So we're going the government are going to have to actually say, look, we we are going to have to look at this as a, uh, as as almost a grant. So rather than giving a grant to business, we're saying, look, we're going to completely total the rates out for the year. Uh, you know that's. It's not a huge amount, but it's it's a significant step to, to address the fixed cost of a business. Um, so, 
Yeah. How much of an issue is the two meter um, social distancing guideline for premises at the moment? I think it's it's unworkable for many. Is that um, the key think, issue? Yeah. Uh, yes. In the main, I would think so. Um, you know, I'm only looking at our own, you know, town of Kilkee here and businesses I know and their capacity with the two metre. It's probably unworkable for, I would have said, probably 60 or 70 percent of the businesses that are in the town. It will make them just physically unworkable. Um, whereas if we can get that down to one metre, and I'm not saying that the one metre should be brought in at the cost of safety uh, or, or health, you know what I mean, at the cost of a health cost. But if there's a valid stand-up reason for 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 why a one meter can work, well then we have to be taking that we have to be taking that step, because that's the difference I think between businesses being uh, surviving and businesses not. Killian Murphy, tourism consultant based in County Clare. My thanks to you for joining us on the program today. Do stay with us. We'll have more on this issue here on the Between the Lines program in just a few moments. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the second part of this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion today, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the hospitality and tourism sector in this country and asking, is there any way to rescue the summer season? Well, joining us to give us their perspective is the Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, Adrian Cummins. Adrian, the restaurant and hospitality sector has taken an unprecedented hit, hit really now throughout the past three months. Just to give us a kind of a general sense, what's been the impact on your members? Well, it's had a huge impact on our members. About 120,000 cafe and restaurant employees have lost their jobs. You add in another 50,000 uh, bar workers and then another another 60,000 in hotels. So you're talking about nearly two, over 200,000 people have lost their jobs in hospitality and tourism. That's a major impact to local economies and the economy wider, at wide, at wider, wider as well. And um, what we want to do is try and get our businesses back up and running and get people back to work in a safe, in a safe manner for our customers and our staff. Mm-hmm. Just before I continue, Adrian, can I just ask, you're not on loudspeaker by any chance, are you? No. No, no, this just, a, just it sounds a little bit faint. Just one second, I'm just going to another yeah. office here. Oh, is that better? It is actually, yeah, that's much clearer. Yeah, 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 it is indeed. Okay, I'll just pick up from there. Um, Just Adrian, at the moment, the current guidance is that the restaurants will be in a position to reopen on the 29th of June for all restaurants and they will have to adhere to the two metre distancing rule. Under that guidance as it stands at the minute, how feasible is that? It's not feasible at all, Andrea. I think there's a huge momentum now to change the two metres uh, social distancing down to the WHO standard of one metre. We were the first organisation three weeks ago to start the conversation publicly. The day after that, the HSB came out and said it would help hospitals. Then uh, the education sector said it would help in education. And then there was a huge momentum now from politicians, from other trade organisations and hospitality to back the call to reduce from two down to one. Uh, and to have the one meter like what is in other European countries like Austria, like Denmark, like uh, Finland and Norway, where they had higher cases of COVID. They've come out of, of, of their lockdown and they're now have opened up their economy uh, on the, on one meter basis and haven't seen any spike. Uh, and they 
there one month into reopening their economy and reopening their restaurants, hospitality in those countries. It's interesting because when you talk about the two metre social distancing rule, and look, everybody knows, Adrian, you, you go out for a meal, you have a few drinks, two metres, the start of the meal, everybody adheres to it. Two metres in reality after an hour or two will very soon become one and a half and, and one metre. Is it not the case that we'd have to implement and, and maintain that two metre distancing rule just to even try and get one metre? I mean, if we bring it back down to one, would there be any social distancing? Well, I think uh, within restaurants, you go to a restaurant and you sit in and you sit down and uh, you have your meal and uh, your order is taken at the, at the table and your food is brought to the table and you go to the bathroom if and when you need to go to go to it. And I think in restaurants, what we are finding is that consumers are finding it as the da- internal data that we, we've researched uh, is shows that it's, they, they feel safe, they want to, want to go to restaurants and they feel confident that once there is a social distancing measure in place in that business, well, then going on international best practice and other international data that we've seen, uh, customers want to go back and go out and socialise within a safe environment. We've seen from booking trends already that in European countries that have reopened their hospitality, there has been a pent-up demand over the last number of weeks and months and people want to go out and socialise, but they want to do that in a safe environment. So what do you want to see brought in at the moment? I mean, your big issue, I suppose, is the two-to-one social distancing rule. Absolutely. That's that's one of a raft of measures that we want to bring in from a, a, to help our, our industry. But from a public health point of view, two-to-one will make a huge difference. It's effectively... You're two to, from two metres to one metres is a distance of four in a, in a business so you lose four times your floor space uh, when you go from one meter up to two meters so effectively you're running at 25 percent or 22 percent of your capacity in a business and that is viable businesses won't open we've always said from the very very beginning of this crisis that nine out of ten restaurants won't open their doors on the 29th of june because it's not they lose money the minute they open the doors on staff costs on supplier costs on fixtures uh, and uh, fixed costs in their business. So they'll, they'll remain closed at two. The staff won't be brought back to work. And that's a huge, you know, that's that's a negative for our industry. And when you look at youth unemployment at the moment at 50%, and our industry is a very young industry, we want to give an opportunity for many, many young people to get back to work in Ireland. In terms of the actual practicalities of for the restaurants that are going to open their doors on June 29th, Adrian. Um, talk us through how that's going to work. I mean, first of all, has guidance been given to restaurants as to, you know, clearly outline exactly what do they do? So, Fault Ireland have developed guidelines for restaurants and cafes and all, that, all parts of the hospitality uh, economy. Those guidance uh, have been issued um, and businesses will have to tier to those. Well, no, there are guidelines as well. It's not the law, but it gives you uh, the gui- guidance on how you should operate your business within a safe uh, a safe working environment. There's not a lot extra in it that we, have, we do already in our businesses right across the country because we have to adhere to food safety controls called HACCP, and uh, we're actually really, really good at it. We're best we're best in class when you benchmark us against other European countries. But this is a new to us. 
Um, we have the procedures and protocols in place. And then you have to prepare your staff to come back. So you have, as like any other company or business across Ireland, uh, you have your return to work protocol. They're exactly the same for our sector as any other sector. Uh, and they and so our, our industry is now gearing up for the return to work of our staff on the 29th of June, hopefully. And uh, there's challenges ahead for us around uh, liquidity for our industry, lack of grants, lack of capital, and uh, a surety around the viability of a business. So, for example, we've asked for the VAT rate to be reduced. And we also want to look at the area of commercial uh, rents and rates for our industry as well. What do you want to see done with the rates and um, the, the rates and even the VAT too? Well, we've said from the very, very beginning of this crisis, VAT has to go to 0%. Um, and there, there's some pushback from our Department of Finance to say you can't do it in the European uh, context. What I'd say back to them is we were able to uh, pri- uh, nationalise our private hospitals within two days which we were told we couldn't do. So if, if there's a will, there's a way. And uh, all the rule book has gone out the window when it comes to state aid and everything to do with Europe. So we're in a crisis, a national emergency, a European emergency and a world emergency. So that is very, very important for us. Commercial rents and commercial rates. Commercial rates should be written off for at least 12 months for hospitality because we're on the floor. We're not able to pay these, these, uh, these rates and it should be a rates holiday. That doesn't say that the local authorities would lose out. The government should subvent the local authorities for the loss of uh, of commercial rates in our sector. And then finally, on the area of grants and commercial, and commercial rents. Commercial rents, uh, we have a major challenge now, in, especially specifically in, in, in restaurants, because 95% of restaurants are rented, uh, and landlords are not moving on rents. And that is, there's an issue around rents because everybody has to t- has to burden share this. Banks have to give uh, relief to landlords, and the re- landlords need to give relief to uh, tenants. Otherwise, you'll have a domino effect of a collapse in the rental market, commercial rental market, uh, in a couple of months' time. And we we see predictions of that already. And uh, look, the, the banks have made moves to, in an effort to try and help, um, to try and help those obviously paying back business loans in 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 the um, in the form of of mortgage breaks. Effectively, local authorities have made efforts too. Can you just clarify, Adrian? Is it have the local authorities offered a um, a rates deferral for the three months, or was it a a rates break completely for three months? It's a rates write off for three months. Uh, is what we have, we have been told by the government. Uh, and with regard to the banks, the banks, we've all, from the day one of this crisis, uh, I have said that the Irish people bailed out the Irish banks in 2011, and now is the time for the Irish banks to bail out Irish business in 2020. And what I mean by saying that is that we effectively need to get low interest loans at ECB rates in Ireland for business. Otherwise, the, the business rates are being offered by government funds or through banks. It's not viable for business at the moment. And what they don't want is more debt on top of debt. What they want is long-term loans to restructure their businesses, so at ECB rates, like what the French are doing 
for for their own um, economy. They have really, really low interest loans for businesses that can apply for it at a certain sector and a certain level. So what we need to do is basically look at how do we have a functioning uh, SME economy into the future, and hospitality will be part of that. Uh, we're very, very much of the opinion that the current model of um, business loans at 4.5% when ECB rates are at negative uh, interest rates at the moment just isn't the, 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 the place that Ireland should be or else you will have a huge stress on uh, businesses to repay those loans and that effect, in effect will put pressure on the banks in the future if these businesses go out of business. And can I just ask you, Adrian, finally, for businesses that are maybe listening today or maybe they're in the next uh, the next tranche of, of, of businesses to get to reopen those maybe that have been moved from August 10th to July 20th. I mean, there's a lot of business owners that are really concerned and worried at the moment because they just haven't been told what it is that they need to do um, and what's going to happen. You know, if somebody from the Health and Safety Authority comes around to, to inspect their premises and they want to make sure that they are in compliance with the guidelines. There seems to be an absence of guidelines, though, in some in some sectors. Um, there is, and uh, effectively, from our sector, we've been issued with our our guidelines uh, from Falls Ireland, and they've done a huge amount of work to pull it all together. But within those guidelines, you have multiple other guidelines from other multiple other agencies, and I think the. The authorities need to work with us at the moment, and people want to get on with, with getting their businesses up and running. And this, coming in with a big stick approach, is not going to help businesses. There's a lot of people that are on the edge at the moment that are fearful for the business going o- o- over the edge. They want to do the right thing, but they don't want to come in with a huge amount of red tape and paperwork and rules and regulations. They want to make sure that they protect their staff, protect their customers, and that's it, and get on with their business. But the authorities need to work with us, and we'll work with them. And uh, Ireland has always been best in class when it comes up comes to uh, re- uh, regulation and regulatory burden in, in Ireland, and that has never been solved. Uh, when you compare Ireland to other European countries that are up and running at the moment, the rules and regulations for the likes of Austria, likes of Denmark, who are conservative countries by nature. But the regulations that they are uh, adhering to, and I've seen them, are a lot, lot less than what we have in Ireland. So it's like as if we have multiple agencies uh, set up to create a multiple regulatory controls. And in in actual fact, it's like a little cottage industry for the consultants uh, coming in. And that's where we need to we need to get uh, a deregulation and merging of all of these rules. So that you don't have a uh, number, number of uh, inspectors coming in, in, in your door into your business continuously. And we want to do the right thing, obviously, but mm. well, we'll, it needs to be Yeah, we're well, just on that, Adrian. I mean, how do you ensure that some restaurants don't, you know, absolutely take the... You know, if, if there's going to be guidance that you're not allowed to have um, punters coming in and ordering a meal and just sitting on to be in a position to have, you know, um, a load of drinks over the course of a couple of hours, like how do you ensure that one restaurant is is in, on the same level of compliance as the as the premises next door? Well, the, the biggest policeman in this whole saga would be the consumer themselves. And, uh, you know, we saw at the very, very beginning of the crisis, the consumer didn't didn't tolerate 
uh, businesses that were, in effect, floating the, the request from the Department of Health or the health officials. So, you know, our customers and consumers will be quick to report businesses to the regulatory authorities. And subsequent to that, I'm sure they will be inspected. So it will have to be self-regulation, but also customers, they'll have a... <laughs> They'll have a, a, a skin in the game when, when 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 we start to reopen because you know people want to get back out and there is we know there is pent up demand but people want to get back out in a safe environment and what we don't want is another outbreak another spread of the disease I know they talk about the second wave but our industry uh, has a serious job of work now to provide confidence to the Irish people that we can do things right. Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, Adrian Cummins, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion today, asking can the summer be rescued for the hospitality and tourism sector? Well, joining us on the line is Tara Kerry from Falcha, Ireland. Tara, it's been an incredibly difficult summer for so many businesses in the hospitality industry and sector. I mean, from your own perspective as the the tourism uh, body promoting um, various different industries within this market, What's your assessment of the damage that's been caused, first of all? Well, it's obviously going to be a very difficult year for businesses because they've obviously lost some of the best part of the year, um, closing before St. Patrick's Day or in and around St. Patrick's Day, which obviously would normally be the start of the season for a lot of businesses and not being able to open now until the 29th. However, it is hugely uh it's so much better, I should say, being able to open on the 29th of June than having to wait until the 20th of July. So that's one positive. There's also going to be, I think, a very good uptake, obviously, on the domestic holiday market this year. And obviously, it's going to be quite a substantial loss, you know, with uh, out having the international element. But I think just talking to various businesses, it doesn't matter with the hotel or self-catering, even attractions and activities, they are seeing a huge interest and a lot of bookings coming in from after the 29th of June. So all is not lost? No, all is not lost. It's still going to be a very difficult year and it's going to take quite a substantial period of time for businesses to actually come back from this. But I think there is a degree of positivity out there because there is such an interest from the domestic market because generally at this time of the year you'd have quite a substantial number of the domestic market heading off abroad and that's not an option for quite a number of people. And it'll be great for people to actually do the staycation and see what Ireland has to offer because we all know it has a huge amount to offer. But And we try and encourage, there's going to be a big uh, domestic marketing campaign uh, through Folger Ireland which will actually encourage people to visit locations that they might not have previously considered. Do you see this being the case for all tourism, um, for all elements of of the tourism sector, Tara, though? Well, it's very hard to know at this stage. And again, I suppose we're having this conversation maybe in September, we might be having a a different, uh, taking a different uh, perspective of it. But, you know, we're optimistic and we would hope, yes, that um, as a result of people just re-introducing themselves to some of the Irish uh, hotspots and some of those places that are not considered hotspots and just 
getting back to nature because a lot of people when they were in lockdown for the last number of weeks have actually, I suppose, been uh, looking at various websites and what have you and seeing what's out there. And now, thanks to the announcement by the Taoiseach over the two weeks ago, now that we're able to reopen the majority of the tourism businesses on the 29th, I think you'll actually see quite a lot of people getting out and about. And remember, accommodation is very important to people. Obviously, they need to have a nice place to stay, some place that they actually can feel comfortable and safe in. But they also need, whilst they're in a location, to have good attractions, good activities, nice places to eat, etc. So all of that's very important. And there's one thing I can say in Ireland, we have an abundance of that. And we won't have as many international visitors, unfortunately, this year. It makes it maybe that little bit easier for the domestic market uh, to actually get back to uh, holidays that they may not have had for quite a number of years. Do you see this been the case, though, across all of the, um, the the tourism providers, though? Because, I mean, I know from talking to people over the course of the past week, Tara, a lot of people are looking at maybe, you know, um, camping and glamping and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe caravan sites. They're looking at self-catering accommodation. Are you anyway nervous that there will be a little bit of hesitation for customers to maybe make that mass return to the hotel and B&B providers? Not from what we're hearing on the ground and I think the guidelines that we produced and launched uh, last Tuesday will actually help assist you know um, hotels bed and breakfast, guest houses, whatever type of accommodation you talk about, they will actually help because they're going to give people a degree of comfort. And the one thing I would say to any of you listening to this that are considering holidaying in Ireland this year is to say that, remember, we have a very, very high standard of accommodation in this country. And to be fair, the majority, if not all of the businesses, would have had a very high level of cleaning because we, we call our cleaning and disinfecting quite a lot in the guidelines. But businesses absolutely were doing this beforehand. The only thing they weren't doing, because they didn't think that they had to do it, was making people aware of it. So one of the things through the guidelines, we're encouraging, uh, we'll just use hotels as an example, we're encouraging hotels to say, look, we have this strict regime. We're going to be on top of this. It's very important to us as hotels that um, people coming feel safe and that they know that we have their best interests at heart. Because at the end of the day, these businesses have to look after themselves employees and then most importantly the visitors coming in and I believe it may take just a little bit in the early stages people might be a little bit apprehensive but I think when they see how people are actually the businesses are adhering to these guidelines and ensuring the comfort and safety of the guests I, I firmly believe that people will start coming back en masse. Now, one point I've heard mentioned in recent days is that while people might be looking for some of the staycation options across the country at the moment, one of the talking points is the cost and the amount that uh, people are being asked to pay for maybe a couple of days or for a week in you know, self-catering or in hotel accommodation across the country. Um, I know that providers have had an extremely, extremely difficult three months, Tara. They've had businesses that have been closed. They have um, possibly rent bills, mortgages to, to pay off the back of this. But are you encouraging providers now not to maybe, you know, try and recoup that money by charging extortionate prices? Well, our experience of and working closely with the sector over the years, and I've been involved in the um, I've been involved in the, the tourism industry all my life, and I can tell you hand on heart that the majority of providers, and again, I would say up there with the top numbers, um, they they obviously um, they have to to make money. There's no ifs ands or buts about that but that they actually offer a very high quality experience at competitive prices. 
And we don't see that changing. And I have to say, my experience is businesses will always charge the most competitive rate. And one of the things I would say is that direct booking is actually of one of the best ways of getting the best rate. And I would strongly suggest to people, you know, shop around, obviously, but contact the property directly. Look at their own website, see what they're offering, because very often there's added value in there. So that the, the business may have, or just to give an example, they might have a, a deal with a local attraction and you could get a discount from that attraction. So the added value is there. And I firmly believe that that's what businesses will do. You notice every year prices will fluctuate depending on supply and demand. But we're not hearing on mass that there is a huge increases. Now, there are obviously some accommodation providers who may not fall in under the Affordable Ireland Quality Assurance Framework. And we obviously aren't aware of what type of pricing they're charging. But in the main, um, I believe prices will remain competitive. Okay, talk us through some of these guidelines. Um, Just last week, the Taoiseach announced that some of the the phases were going to be brought forward in the sense that the restaurants are going to be allowed to reopen now on the 29th of June, um, as will the hotel providers, the pubs, they're at the latter stage. They're not coming forward now till the uh, the twentieth of July. But we'll start with the, um, the 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 restaurants and the hotel providers, and maybe with hotel accommodation first of all. Um, what are the guidelines now, Tara, for to uh, accommodation providers in this country? Well, just to say before I talk about the guidelines, everything that we have in the guidelines is actually probably things that businesses have been doing previously. Um, the guidelines focus a lot on, um, I suppose, ensuring that the comfort and there's this confidence in the product. So that's a lot about cleaning and disinfecting. Now, that has always gone on. And as I said earlier, one of the things is that businesses didn't promote that because they didn't feel it was a necessary thing to do. They will now because they want to ensure that those coming to stay in their property actually know that they are meeting the highest of standards. The biggest difference, as you see at this moment in time, will be around the physical distancing. At the moment, it's a two-metre uh, physical distance between whether it be the, the chairs in the lobby, um, whether it be the restaurants, uh, sorry, the tables in the restaurants, uh, the seats in the bar, etc. So that would be the biggest thing. But when it comes to the actual room, when it comes to the welcome, those type of things won't really have changed. And the thing that we will obviously encourage, and businesses themselves will do this regardless of whether we encourage them or not, to continue giving that Irish welcome, you know, to that warm welcome. It may not be the shaking of hands that you once would have seen, but definitely that customer service element will be there. And I think we're going to see an increased level of that. Okay. And and for people then when they go to, so they're staying in their hotel or in their B&B, there won't be a buffet style uh, breakfast or lunch, is that right? There will be, uh, but not maybe as you would remember the traditional buffet. One of the things, because of this pandemic, we've actually identified, obviously, the spread of the, the, the virus, is that anything that's open, that w- a lot of people, I know myself, I wouldn't be overly encouraged to go and take a, a bread roll out of an open basket. But if things are covered, if things are individually wrapped, if there is a member of staff at the buffet serving, the buffet will still be there because that's a big part to a lot of people when they mm. actually uh, visit a hotel. I know I enjoy it in the yeah. morning. Well, for a lot but of people, rather, the, 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 one of the biggest attractions to going to the hotel is that you get and, your breakfast provided to you. Yeah, and that would still be there. You know, there's, it's the self-service element of it is probably going to be either reduced 
or removed in certain cases. Okay. So basically, if you have, just as an example, of a buffet breakfast where you see the beautiful eggs, sausages, everything there, rather than you serving yourself those, an employee may serve you that. Okay. Can I because get you to clarify something for me? If I'm now staying in a hotel and I want to have uh, my evening meal, maybe it's part of my package or it's not, can I get... Um, alcoholic drink uh, with with a meal. Are hotels allowed to do that before the pubs reopen? They are indeed, yes. And what's to stop me from sitting on? You know, it, will there be a time limit for how long I'll be allowed to sit at a table? The, the there is that we need a little bit more clarity around that, but it's generally around an hour and a half or so after the meal finishes. The idea with this is that it is for the service of food and beverage with the meal. So that would be the same in, say, something like a gastropub. If you go in, there will be slots generally uh, because they will require a turnover. They're not going to have people sitting at tables for hours because hmm. nobody well, wants Well, otherwise there's going to be a massive disparity I mean, between the hotels and the restaurants and the pub. I mean, I mean, I've I've heard anecdotally of people talking about going to into restaurants to order, you know, a bowl of soup, and they could sit there for as many hours as they want if it's not enforced. No, and it will be enforced because our industry actually have always done it. They've always ensured that they are abiding by the law first and foremost. But secondly, they want to give everybody an opportunity and you don't want somebody sitting at a table for hours, as you say, just with a bowl of soup. So again, what we've encouraged businesses to look at is a reservation system. Obviously, there will be the opportunity for walk-in as well, but a reservation system can be good because then you will have a slot and it allows then people to sit and enjoy the meal, but it also gives others an opportunity because obviously with physical distancing, there may not be the capacity in the restaurants that there would have been previously. But am I right in saying that at the moment, the the, the hotels um, that are offering food, they don't, ha- they don't have to operate the the pre-booking system, you're just encouraging them to no, do so? just encouraging it. No, there's absolutely no requirement. So if somebody is walking down the street and they decide they want to go for dinner or they want to have their lunch, there's abs- they're absolutely welcome to go in. It's just that they may have to wait a little bit longer if there are a number of people ahead of them. So by booking ahead, it gives people an opportunity not to be disappointed. Okay, just finally, for the publicans out there listening to us today who are at this point um, not going to be open until three weeks after the hotels and the restaurants, what's your advice at this stage to them? Well, we are producing guidelines as well for the publicans and uh, hopefully they will be available next week. And um, quite a number of publicans will be open because if they have food service, um, so again, they will abide by the same style of guidelines as we have in the restaurant, which also includes uh, uh, gastropubs. And for pubs that don't have a food license, is there any um, adaptation they can make? Um, at this moment in time, I'm afraid I wouldn't be in a position to answer that. But as the government's roadmap for reopening states, that they will not be in a position to reopen until the 20th of uh, okay. July. Just finally, before I let you go, Tara, business supports for people getting reopened. I mean, is, uh, yeah. like, is there anything they can get? Um, there's quite a number of uh, number of different types of business supports on the FaultureIreland.ie website, and I strongly suggest that everybody goes on to that. And under the COVID-19 section, there is uh, supports like financial recovery, operational performance. Uh, I mentioned there earlier service excellence, you know, around customer care. 
some really good programs on that, but there's also some very good videos on HR for reopening and also any supports that are out there because what we've tried to do on the FaultJaron.ie website and in our guidelines is to give people a platform where they can gather as much information as possible rather than having to go to several different sites. And I have to say that the HSA, the Health and Safety um, Authority's website, has some very interesting um, templates and uh, directions relating to the return to, the return to Work Safely protocol. So I strongly advise that people look at the FaultJaron.ie and the HSA. And for food businesses, look at the um, Food Safety Authority mm. of Ireland website. Okay. A lot of really, really good stuff there and very good supports in all of them. Tara Kerry from Fall to Ireland. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll have more in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, as the tourism sector changes on an international footing, we're joined in the line by the editor of the Erin Travel Extra magazine, Owen Corrie. Owen, huge changes. And I know we've spoken to you previously during the past, what, 13, 14 weeks now of this pandemic about the uh, the effect of COVID-19 on the travel and tourism industry. We've heard a lot on the programme so far today about people talking um, about a kind of a hopeful rise, maybe in the latter stages of the summer now, in staycations here in this country. Is that something you expect to see? Yeah, absolutely. In latter stages of the summer is where we would have been talking a week, 10 days ago. But has happened since last Friday and the galvanisation of the, lock, the unlocking process has been, I've seen a sort of a surge of uh, optimism, uh, if that's not overstating the case, through the home holiday industry. It hasn't been replicated in bookings. There isn't a sort of surge of bookings. Some people are, are saying we're getting bookings, but it, it's coming off such a historically low base. Um, it's still not meaningful. But there is a sense that the chances of getting something out of the 2020 season have been revived and moved forward, maybe not by a long period, but two weeks is an awful lot in a very short season. Now, in terms of the international advice for people at the moment, I mean, it's still first and foremost, despite the fact we're, we're probably a lot of people are getting it, you know, they're inundated Owen, with these um, emails from airlines offering them deals and telling them about every country that has lifted restrictions. But at the moment, the advice still is there should be no non-essential travel. That's it. It's uh, mixed messaging. The government, the health officials are saying, you know, steady on, guys. Don't get carried away. And the airlines are saying, uh, most notably Ryanair, they started it by saying, we're putting 40% of the fleet in the sky on July the 1st, uh, 1,000 flights a day. The only way they're going to get people on those flights are with uh, the sort of prices we don't see in summer, €34 to Barcelona, €60 one way to Lanzarote. What people are trying to work out is uh, what happens when you return. Is this 14-day self-isolation period going to mean that your two-week holiday turns into a four-week holiday? And we're in this dichotomy where uh, it's illegal not to fill out the locator form that you're handed on the aircraft, but it's not illegal to break the quarantine. And then to add another dimension of uncertainty, the Department of Foreign Affairs has an advisory against all but essential travel to almost every country in the world, you know, every, every country in the world. So that has implications for travel insurance. From the consumer point of view, the travel insurance that you would take out for a European flight would tend to cover things like uh, cancellation for death with close relative, lost baggage, things like that. The key element, the health element is covered under your European health uh, card, the, the EHIC card. 
Uh, obviously, if you're traveling to somewhere like North America, you don't put a toe in there without proper travel insurance. But uh, USA is closed to international visitors at the moment. From June the 15th, there'll be a big unlocking. It's D-Day across Europe. Most of the border is down. There's about two countries. Slovakia would be one of them. Slovenia would be another. Poland have announced they're joining that. But Ireland are keeping the quarantine and the rest of Europe is a little bit grumpy about that. The one thing, Andrea, that's saving us is that grumpy as they are about our quarantine, most of the diversion, most of the attention has been diverted to the British quarantine, and that's where most of the ire is going at the moment. Mm. I heard the um, the Irish tour operators on earlier this week uh, talking about th- that particular um, line that you mentioned, on calling for clarity about when this fourteen day period will end, because it's not just tourists coming into the country. If I go abroad and then come home, I too have to quarantine for fourteen days. And again, it's not enforceable. So who is quarantined, who is not? Uh, one of some of our most vociferous aviators, and I leave the listeners to guess which is the most vociferous of all. He's been saying that the, the whole, uh, it's been ignored widely. It's unenforceable. And what people will do is they'll say, oh, that's not a good idea to go flying. But then when they see a price, they'll jump on it. Not so sure Michael O'Leary is right on that. Uh, people will need a bit more convincing um, on safety issues like that. And they, you know, looking to precedents like 9-11 and the global financial recession where people were coaxed back into the air by no prices. We're not sure it's going to be the same this time around. And the travel experience is going to be a lot more uh, uncomfortable. We we're, will be wearing masks for the duration of a flight. Uh, Dublin Airport said yesterday that um, they will be requiring people to wear masks in the airport. And then when you get there, while uh, guests are not allowed, um, are not forced to wear masks, I mean, the compulsory masks are in some countries, but the main tourist destinations, let's cut it down to two, Spain and Portugal, uh, the staff and restaurants will be wearing masks. There will be some sort of social distancing. The pools will be open. There's an elaborate scheme for unlocking and reopening the tourist facilities. But I think, Andrea, we will have to wait for the first batch of travellers to come back Uh, from Spain, Portugal, and tell us what it's like. The way Ireland works still is word of mouth is king, uh, way ahead of uh, costly advertising and marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. And what's your um, opinion on that sort of, will there be a hesitation? Will people be confident, do you think, to to travel abroad towards the end of this year? I think that once we get over that first batch and, uh, you know, what is the new normal, um, I think people will be travelling again. The same applies with home holidays. Um, You know, going to a a west of Ireland town is fantastic if everything is open. There is, uh, even on the business side, uh, a lot of uncertainty as to how the two metre, one metre thing will work out for the opening up of restaurants. In the large cities, restaurants... Uh, will get a throughput of volume over a longer period of time than in a rural town. So what the home holiday industry is also looking for is a clear direction that this is what we're allowed to do. Then they can stack up the costs. Uh, is it, you know, are we able to run at any sort of profit at all? Because it's quite clear um, you won't be able to pay your staff on the, some of the regulations that some of the small restaurants would be facing and then make a decision on opening or not. And that will galvanise the, from the consumer side, but from the supply side, 
um, we, there's no clarity at the moment. That needs to be sorted out. The, the demand side would follow. The consumer will be in a better position to judge, is it worth going to the west of Ireland? I think there's a big appetite for travel. There's a sort of a patriotic, let's keep our own home holiday industry going as well, which a lot of people want to participate in. But what the home holiday have to compete with is these airlines are um, able to run at a loss and they will be putting on, as I say, incredible fares. I mean, €30 Euro to Barcelona in July is something I didn't expect to see in my lifetime. OK, Onkari, we leave it there for the moment. Onkari, uh, who's the editor of the Air and Travel uh, Extra, my thanks to you for joining us here on Between the Lines today. If you've missed any Always of the... a pleasure, Andrea. Thank you. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. My thanks as always to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Between the Lines this time next week and with the breakfast briefing on Monday from 6. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day. Between the Lines on News Talk.